suspicious of China over the uh, the last few years. I mean, obviously, the number of um, uh, fighter and, uh, and submarine incursions into um, into Japanese territory have, have gone up considerably. It used to be overwhelmingly the, uh, the Russians, and now Russia and China are... Uh, uh, I think China's overtaken Russia on the number of... Uh, of um, fighter scrambles that they've, uh, they've caused. So I think people are fairly nervous about China at the moment, which is why all of the, the, uh, the big three contenders um, are, are having to say things that are, um, are strict on China. Next, it doesn't mean to say that they will um, uh, not want to do trade deals with China and, uh, and do more business. It merely means that they, they're going to have a, uh, um, a strict stance. Okay, sadly we've run out of time, but we will talk about this again more with you in the future. That's Nick Smith, Japan strategist at CLSA in Tokyo. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And Japanese shares are moving ahead this morning. They're up about a third of a percent on the Nikkei 225. In Australia, the SX200 is down a third of a percent. Uh, the Cosby is up in South Korea, up about 0.4%. Uh, looks like we're going to get a small rebound for the Hang Seng, according to futures markets, of about 90 points or so at the open. Uh, in the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is more or less flat at $73.59 a barrel. Gold is slipping a little bit. It's at $1,793 an ounce this morning. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Stay tuned for Back Chats with Jim Gould and Janice Wong. Weather forecast for today, sunny periods and a few showers. Very hot during the day with a maximum temperature of around 33 degrees. The observatory does have the very hot weather warning in force this morning. There will be some showers in the next couple of days. It's 30 degrees right now. 80% relative humidity. It's 8.32 with the half-hour news. Is Barry O'Rourke. Dozens of angry investors have taken part in a protest at the Shenzhen headquarters of the giant real estate developer Evergrande. The company is thought to have liabilities of about 300 billion US dollars, and retail investors have been buying some of its wealth management products. Dr Andy Xie is an independent economist in Shanghai. This company was really aggressive and borrowed money at a very high interest rate. It's been paying double-digit interest rate in the offshore dollar market. And onshore, it's been selling the equivalent in China to, to retail investors, so-called wealth management products. The hospital authority says a 67-year-old man has died from COVID-19 at the United Christian Hospital in Quantong. The authority said the man had been admitted on September the 1st and had since been taken out of isolation. He remained in hospital, but his condition worsened. He died on Sunday, bringing the total number of COVID-related deaths in public hospitals to 205. Separately, health officials reported one imported COVID case yesterday, a man who had flown in from Qatar. Landlords of subdivided flats are facing tighter restrictions on rent increases. In July, the administration proposed a cap of 15% after two years, but the Transport and Housing Bureau now says the maximum increase should be 10%. After listening to lawmakers, Selai Shan from the Society for Community Organization welcomed the change, but she said even 10% could be too much for those on low pay. Of course, 10% is still not really a good figure. But at least uh, better than 15 percent. So uh, we hope, of course, the landlord they also know that actually those people they they actually cannot afford such a high level of uh, increase of rent. 
The UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres says more than a billion dollars has been pledged for Afghanistan at an emergency aid conference in Geneva. He said one in three Afghans didn't know where their next meal would come from. Speaking to reporters, Mr Guterres warned that holding back financial aid and allowing the Afghan economy to collapse would have far-reaching consequences. My appeal to the international community is to find ways to allow for an injection of cash in the Afghan economy, allowing the economy to breathe and avoiding a collapse that would have devastating consequences for the people of Afghanistan and possibly would trigger a massive exodus with the consequences that you can imagine in relation to the stability of the countries of the region. Pope Francis has told Jewish leaders in Slovakia of his shame at the murder of more than 100,000 Slovakian Jews during the Second World War. On his first full day of his visit, he lit a candle at the Holocaust Memorial in Bratislava and condemned what he called the frenzy of hatred of that time, as well as present-day anti-Semitism. Slovakia's wartime government was led by a Roman Catholic priest, Josip Tiso. He was executed after the war for treason and collaboration with the Nazis. More news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Janice Wong. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, Jim. On this morning's programme, we're talking about a possible government restructuring to include a new bureau handling culture and tourism. The chief executive hinted at the change on Sunday. And the central government's latest five-year plan envisages a stronger role for Hong Kong in the area of arts and culture. So what could we expect from a new bureau? What sort of improvements are required? We'll be talking to some senior figures from the arts and culture world. And congratulations to Coleman Wong, the Hong Kong teenager who won the boys' doubles title at the US Open tennis tournament in New York at the weekend. It turned out to be quite a dramatic tournament. We'll be looking at sports stars winning mentality after 9.15. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 Joining us for our main topic in our Admiralty studio, we have uh, John Batten, who's president of the International Association of Art Critics uh, of Hong Kong, and also Raymond Fung, uh, artist and architect and member of the West Kowloon Cultural District Authority Development Committee and a board member of the Hong Kong Palace Museum. Um, good morning to you both. And also uh, joining us on the line, we have uh, Matthias Wu, who's uh, a curator and the co-artistic director and executive director of the arts group at Zuni Icosahedron. Um, perhaps um, if we could start with uh, Raymond Fung. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, um, you have a, a lot of experience in the world of uh, uh, arts and culture administration. And what benefits do you think there would be from a reorganisation and a new bureau focusing on culture? Um, well, first of all, I think uh, Hong Kong in the past, we have always, always been complained of not having you know, a very nice design on architectures and therefore we are so lacking of hardware but now after the uh, completion of the, the West Kowloon and plus the many other facilities around the town, as we seem to be very confident of uh, hosting you know, more programs in the future but now it comes to the point is uh, Hong Kong, what has been very lacking is, is the software. 
What I meant by software is, uh, first of all, is talking about leadership because we have always been looking for the right person onto the right job. And the third thing is about uh, our education systems, whether or not you know the students um, are having that kind of a mentality to go into art and culture as their career. Yeah, sorry, right person and the right job. Um, so, uh, how are we doing in that respect? Well, first of all, because uh, if uh, our government is looking for setting up a bureau, uh, what, what I just heard from, from you all, from, from Kerry, is uh, this is a, a, very, a very different setup, which mm -hmm. is uh, linking culture with tourism. And therefore, I think in their perspective, it's more on, you know, bringing big events, you know, all those uh, very important uh, festivals in Hong Kong and therefore to turn Hong Kong into a more vibrant city. So in that aspect, we may have that kind of uh, calibre. But talking about doing something more serious in promoting Hong Kong, and I think that would be, you know, really a big challenge in the future because we are so lacking of this kind of uh, leadership or the kind of personnel where whether we can bring in more from international because to me I see that very important is Hong Kong is really a hub in culture which of course is the melting pot for both Western and Eastern and see whether we are now looking for that perspective or just too heavily weighted on promoting Chinese culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, John Batten, what sort of uh, person, what sort of experience um, would you say that uh, anybody leading such a bureau would have to have? Oh, actually, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there, there'll be bureaucrat types, there'll be administrators, and um, I, I think we need to be very realistic that the art and culture and art and cultural events and activity is done by artists. Um, they're not done by administrators and and bureaucrats and um, the the notion that a, a cultural bureau will miraculously solve all our problems is 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 false the 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 vigor and the enthusiasm comes from a much much lower level than that and so I I, I don't care who leads it um, as long as they're they're fair and they're competent and, you know, they, they have a, a, at least a semblance of interest in the arts. And with the suggestion of a, a cultural bureau, which, of course, C.Y. Leung made uh, uh, about six or seven yeah. years ago, um, what, first of all, identify what's wrong with, with the way we administer and fund arts and culture at the moment. Uh, most of our budget goes into the Leisure and Cultural Services Department and a, a very discretionary budget and a very important budget uh, goes to the, the Arts Development Council. And I would worry with all the attacks happening by pro-establishment figures that the discretionary budget uh, is cut completely and absorbed into a much bigger uh, so-called cultural ministry or, or, or bureau. So you would advocate a sort of a um, you know a, a bottom-up structure, um, a sort of organic growth, if you like. Um, but I mean, doesn't it need somebody? I mean, we, we need some sort of coordination, don't we? Well, no, you know, my, in terms my, of ven you know venues and. You know. My my point is that I think we do have a, a competent uh, bureaucratic structure, 
Uh, it's, it's the Home Affairs Bureau. And um, in terms of its funding and its administration of the, the, the facilities we have in Hong Kong through the Leisure and Cultural Services Department, it's, it is competent. Um, so what, what, if we replace it, what, what is it administrative efficiency that we want? Or is it more control? Um, but I, as I say, you know, artists are individuals who do things with vigour and enthusiasm. Uh, control at that level doesn't happen. Yeah. It, it's the sort of control that we're seeing in you cannot do um, uh, activities that are anti-China, the, this broad brush anti-China uh, criticism that the pro-establishment figures are, uh, are throwing at the wall at the moment. Mr. Yeah. Fung, uh, what do you think? I mean, do you think there, there, there are any problems with the way uh, culture and other related policies are, are managed right now? No, first of all, um, thank you. I'd like to um, follow up on what uh, John Patton mentioned about. I do agree with him that it's very important, first of all, is for the... Uh, uh, a good leader, you know, in this bureau should have a very open mind and should be very liberal to accepting all different thoughts. And therefore, Hong Kong stay at it is, you know, being a, a place with, you know, free expression. And I think we are kind of at this challenge. And so I would hope that's why I keep on mentioning it is the choice of a leader is important because of a good leader, then this may be a gateway for it. If not, then it will be going too much, you know, to one side. Uh, the other thing is, uh, uh, if we are talking about uh, these situations, I think what Hong Kong is looking for is not just uh, what has been done uh, or through LCSD or through um, the uh, HAB. It's a more proactive role. I can see the government is trying to look in Hong Kong as a more proactive figure in the world such as to host more big events. You know, so far we have Art Basel, we have Art Centrals and many others. I think we have been very proud of it, but whether or not we can continue on, I think how we sustain on to bring Hong Kong into the international art scene, but on another aspect, I would say it's very, very important for the government and also for the Bureau to allow people to have their freedom of expression and therefore both can make into a very successful future. Okay, well, let's bring in uh, Matthias Wu of the uh, arts group Zuni Icosahedron. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning. Um, what do you think about this uh, possibility of a new arts and culture bureau? Oh, I, first of all, I don't have any expectation. And second, if you look at the ITB, the Innovation and Technology Bureau founded a few years ago, and it has zero impact in technology in Hong Kong. It, this bureau is only doing apps, you know, and apps is only part of the tech ecology. I really don't see a dramatic change of, uh, of tech. And, and especially in terms of, uh, I, I think probably I will go back to something really basic. Uh, if we have this bureau, I think this bureau has to tackle a few issues. One is education. Hong Kong has uh, zero art education. I mean, amount, uh, like from, from primary school to secondary school, it's very weak. And actually, less and less students taking visual art exam, the, the, the visual exam. Uh, and then we don't have enough uh, trained art teacher. 
And if we have, if you want to nurture a good local art market, you need to have good art education. If you want to build up a good and strong art workforce or so-called industry, you need a lot of uh, professional and you need a lot of institution. We don't have that. We don't have ins- We only have a funding institution, uh, but we don't have enough uh, art institution. Uh, secondly, we don't have enough legislation. Do you know Hong Kong do not have any regulation regulating theatre? So theatre are treated like work site, construction work site. The government apply construction work site to theatres. So we have, uh, but in London, in New York, in Shanghai, in, in Tokyo, they have specific regulation for museum and theatres for art space. Hong Kong have none. Hong Kong only have uh, entertainment, fire regulation, uh, public security. We have none. We, we don't have any regulation. Uh, and in Taiwan, uh, they have this uh, cultural industry ordinance set up that have been very helpful in nurturing, facilitating creative art parts that allow artists to set up studio. They have a set of rules and regulations that can help the industry to grow. But in Hong Kong, we have none. So if we have this bureau, the bureau have to do all the foundation, which means we need to reveal uh, how we can link up uh, with China or with the world in terms of education, art education. Mm-hmm. In terms of ordinance, in terms of venue and facility, we need to upgrade our all the ordinance. Now we are super outdated. And the, the, and the most ridiculous thing is, do you know the reason the government recently uh, passed this ordinance about drones? I mean, in uh, uh, the, the the drone, the flying drone. Yeah. Somehow it will get, drone will obsolete in Hong Kong because this regulation is not for the professional. It's not for the. It's only for the government bureaucrats to feel comfort that they don't need to take any blame of any anything happens. I mean, the situation in Hong Kong is really damaging because it's Hong Kong is already obsolete in the art map in the world. I mean, look. I mean, uh, 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 because Hong Kong is not professionally led. Uh, just talking, I mean, yeah, okay, just on that point about arts uh, education in schools. I mean, um, in that in that case, why do you think it is so weak? Is that because it's not valued as a subject? Oh, because the Hong Kong establishment only treat art as a party, as an event. So we have many art parties. We don't have any serious. We don't treat art seriously. We don't have patrons. We have a lot of sponsor, but we don't have patron. Means they will support and nurture artists. I mean, look, don't talk about artists, don't talk about architect. How Have we ever grown a proper architect last 20 years? No. We are, we, we, at the end of the day, we only talk about Rocco Yim, Rocco Yim, and Rocco is already in his 70s. And we don't have any, we don't any groom, any young, look at West Kowloon. All the work are done by, by, by our architect already super established. I mean, why Hong Kong have to do that? Do that. We don't really, we don't really have a sense of talent because art education means you want to grow talent. And if you look at all the dean of all the major art school in Hong Kong, they are not, they are not all locals. They are all from out overseas. It's fine. When I was in Hong Kong, you, our dean is from Malaysia, but he he has a kind of mixed culture attitude that let us know what Raymond just said: a melting point of east and west. And and then we have this kind of attitude so that we can bring out the best of Hong Kong is we will be able to connect. But the problem, what we have now is our establishment only treat arts as a party or treat art to attract more customers to buy things or treat art 
to attract more tourists, they don't treat us seriously. But if you look at Korea, if you look at Korea, they are doing both. They're not. They're doing all the marketing stuff. They're they're doing all the hardcore stuff. Then you can, if you go to Korea, I call you one simple example. If you if we add up all the museum space in Hong Kong, it is only twenty percent of the metropolitan. We have so little. We are the the, the 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 ecology is wrong because we don't have enough hardware. I mean, West Kowloon is not enough. We need to have ordinance that encourage people like set up Bruce Lee Museum, Gamyong Museum, Comic Museum. Comic is so strong in uh, Hong Kong. We don't uh, even have a proper museum to acknowledge comics. And and somehow I think I think the the art education thing is only reflecting the government's short term attitude towards art. So to set up this bureau might be a good start, but might be not. But, but one very, very uh, uh, sensitive issue for the English-speaking world is if I say we should learn from China, then people will say, oh, no, we should. But if you look at Shanghai, Shanghai now is already on the cultural map of the world. They are holding regular, big and powerful, impactful exhibition in Shanghai. And the Shanghai citizen is engaging to us. In Hong Kong, we have this cultural apartheid, I'm telling you. Only the English-speaking and the middle-upper class enjoying art. Most of the local people care nothing about art because we do not have proper art education that can really educate or nurture a proper ecology that normal citizens will enjoy art and culture. Okay, uh, let's get let's do that. Okay, let's get a response from Raymond Fung. So, um, is West Kowloon for just for upper and middle class people? <laughs> well, I'm still a middle middle class. But anyway, first of all, I appreciate very much Matthias because we have been you know friends and we have been a lot of uh, different opinions. But in fact, he has been very true. Is talking about Hong Kong is so lacking of art education. So no matter you know how how big. You know our hardwares are, but we still have to have a lot of the software to in, to infill. Uh, he has good points, but I think one of the very important points is because he mentioned about Hong Kong is so lacking in our education as well as the ordinance for all these you know, performances. Maybe now I'm always very optimistic. Maybe this is uh, one of the channel with this bureau to really bridge up this gap. This is a really a big gap. Matai is very correct. It's a very big gap. Another point about Matthias is I think he has to a little bit look forward to Hong Kong architectures in the younger generations because it's not just for him because I teach in the University of China, Chinese University of Hong Kong for 10 years and, and also I sit in many of these uh, 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 what I call advisory committees. In fact, there has been a very strong, a very strong intention to nurture younger architects. Therefore, you can see Apart from those uh, West Calden, because those are you know monster architectures, big ones. But talking about the smaller ones along the waterfront, we have now not the it's the Hong Kong government has now you know taking a very strong role in providing a smaller scale competition, and therefore I think this is a very good channel whereby you know the younger architects has his role play, and after some time they become middle sized and then become bigger sized. I think this is. This is the way that Hong Kong has to nurture, and I think both the ASD is doing it, and I know the, the other departments are also supporting this. So I'm not that uh, worried about you know Hong Kong young architects without opportunities. 
And so uh, maybe uh, Matthias is correct. Um, having this bureau uh, with a, a, a very strong um, perspective, and it's depending on, you know, for again back onto my you know, question is whether we have the right person. The right person can really bring Hong Kong into the international platforms. And I'm not that saying Hong Kong is not so far because we have Art Basel, we have a lot of other uh, facilities that are comparable to those in Shanghai. But of course, we are more Western because we have, you know, a lot of uh, international uh, people in Hong Kong. I think this is nothing wrong with Hong Kong. I think I have been very strong in pushing forward that Hong Kong has to maintain international. It's not just you know, all along going to Chinese or just local. It has to be, again, very international. Right. Uh, right now, the, our discussion seems to be uh, focusing on the cultural side of things. But uh, right now, uh, it seems like the government is actually looking at setting up a bureau for culture and tourism policies. Well, at least uh, that's what the chief executive uh, hinted on Sunday. Do you think it should go beyond that? I mean, some uh, experts, they've suggested that it should uh, cover sports as well. Um, I, I totally agree it should cover sports. And, then the, and I think for, for tourism... I think if you, if Hong Kong have proper town planning, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, tourism is if if you if, I mean if you I mean like if you have proper infrastructure and and time planning, then I think the the problem in Hong Kong now for tourism is we only focusing too much on shopping. We don't focus on other other uh, kind of activity. I think the COVID nineteen actually let people we discover what Hong Kong could be. And somehow, the, I think the URA, the Urban Renewal Authority, have stronger impact in tourism than this new bureau, because uh, it can create a lot of uh, how if they can preserve the unique Hong Kong identity, like in the Yaomate area and then the heritage, then then uh, it will be attractive again. But I would not say the next few years we will go back to this kind of super crazy 90 million tourists to Hong Kong. No, I mean it's not possible. So I, I I don't see tourism is is uh is is important. I think if you have if you have good art and sport policy, uh, I think the sports situation is similar to arts. We don't have proper sport education, for example, for junior high school from form one to form three, they are only doing forty eight hours sports a class uh, in thirty two weeks, which means ninety two minutes a week. Then you divide it by five is about eighteen minutes a day. So I think for a teenager, it's not enough. And then there are not enough teachers and hardware. And then the international school is perfect for sport development. But for the local school, they don't have teachers. They don't have enough facility. It's a kind of really underlooked. So I would say the positive side setting bureau with us and sport is because it's very similar situation. They, with a similar concept, uh, then they can really solve uh, really... Uh, improving the situation and if they improving the situation then i would say hong kong will become a more happy city because uh, the problem in hong kong now is is a quite a cultural apartheid city i would say and a sport apartheid too because if you're upper middle class you can go to you can pay you can pay because you can pay for sport and art but for, the, for normal people it's not it's, it's a completely different world probably that's because i'm from both worlds so i i could say i could say that <laughs> Okay, let's ask John Batten. I mean, arts and sports are two very different areas, aren't they? What do you think? Oh, I, I, I just want to take up the point of Matthias about the apartheid 
comment. You know, this is this is very true, um, and the mindset of government and the the people who run Hong Kong is very weird. I, I've been involved in many campaigns to save heritage sites like PMQ, uh, Daigun, Central Market, and and these sites have become contortions of our original vision for the, 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 the local grassroots people to use. They become shopping centres. And it's very, very sad. It's really sad that, they, that the, the, the heritage in Hong Kong is always geared towards uh, uh, a bar or, or an expensive restaurant. It, it, it is extremely sad. And then we have in, in Hong Kong the English-Cantonese or English-Chinese divide. No one wants to talk about these issues, and and for example, I uh, the 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 cultural uh, office up in Hong Kong Hong, uh, in Beijing, Hong Kong's cultural office in in Beijing, and they've they've got a new appointee, and she told me that in ten years, in the last ten years, they've only done one cultural ex- exchange program in ten years, and I was shocked, because Hong Kong people need to know about China. Yeah. It's very sad what's going on. And, and Matthias is absolutely right about the ap- apartheid may be a very hard word. But in, there is certainly, <laughs> but <it's reality. laughs> there's certainly a huge divide in the snobbery of our bureaucrats and the needs of our grassroots. Okay, great. Well, let's hold it there, and we'll return to the conversation in three minutes' time after the 9 o'clock news summary. Um, Get in touch. Uh, Email us at backchat at rthk.hk. Facebook is Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, or call us 233-88-266. Quick look at the weather. Uh, Sunny periods and a few showers. Very hot during the day, with a top temperature around 33 degrees. The outlook, uh, there will be some showers in the next couple of days. It's 30 degrees now, humidity 80%, very hot weather warning. And me, Jim Gould. And this morning we're talking about uh, cultural policy, the prospect of a new bureau being set up to handle culture and tourism. And a bit later on we'll be talking about uh, sports stars' uh, winning mentality after the uh, dramatic uh, tennis uh, which just finished in New York uh, at the weekend, the US Open. Um, and before we return to our main topic, a couple of emails to read out here. Uh, this one from uh, Claude says, uh, governments which use uh, film industry policy to drive tourism end up delivering banal, com- banal commercial projects. Think cliché photo moments, airbrushed locations and theme parks. Art, daring and rule-breaking are not encouraged. Combine this proposal for a combined arts tourism bureau with the new film censorship law and kiss goodbye to Hong Kong's film industry. To misquote your Australian guest, art must come from artists, not bureaucrats or legislators. That from Claude. Um, Henry says on our Facebook... uh, 
CY, that CY Learn, had raised uh, setting up a culture bureau previously but shelved it due to opposition. I consider the opposition narrow-minded. One should take a broad, longer-horizon view. Look at history. A place thrives only when there are exchanges, people, cultural, etc. An example is Xi'an in the Tang Dynasty and international city then. Equally, now London, Paris are international cultural centres. Compare this against Tokyo, an essentially Japan-centric and famous for kabuki, no only, basically Japanese. Hong Kong will have the Palace Museum next year. It would uh, generate uh, huge international traffic, raise Hong Kong's position in the cultural world and tourist hotspots. Looking beyond, the Greater Bay Area may have uh, great cultural venues now and in future. Shenzhen Opera House and others, uh, estimated completion 2024, the Guangzhou Opera House, etc. And the whole GBA would be a thriving international cultural centre in addition to economic, financial uh, and uh, that's kind of that, that that's from henry um so um a reminder we have with us uh, john batten president of, of the international association of art critics uh, in hong kong and raymond fung uh, artist and architect and member of the west kowloon cultural district authority development committee and a board member of the hong kong palace museum and also uh, matthias wu of the art group zuni icosahedron all right, let's uh, get back to our discussion. And before the news summary, Mr. Batten, uh, you're talking about an English and Cantonese divide. Uh, can, can you elaborate a bit more on that? Oh, it's obvious. Uh, Hong Kong is split down those that have an English uh, language skills and those who have uh, Chinese language skills. <clears throat> and, you know, traditionally those that, that didn't have the English language skills, they... They, they weren't able to get and still are not able to get into universities and many services and uh, opportunities are, are blocked. And, you know, this is, you know let, let's not belabor this. Um, the, the, the mindset that I think we need to have is, is an open mindset. You know, rather than say we, we, we can't, we, we stop e teaching English. That's absurd. The world is is run around uh, English language opportunities. But there is no openness in, in many areas of Hong Kong. I mean, Matthias and, and the, the theatre regulations, the regulation, the building regulations which are applied to, to theatre, it's one absurdity, which we, we, we... The building regulations in Hong Kong date back to the 1930s and they've made no allowances for 70 or 80 years of progress and changes in, in building material and approaches in, in doing things. And we have a cultural building which will have imposed modern regulations destroying the fabric of the, of the heritage. So it, it's, a, it, it's, a, it, it's very difficult in Hong Kong because you talk to the bureaucrats and they look at you and go, yes, and that's it. Uh, I, I don't know where to start in many ways. It, it, it's actually quite frustrating. And that's why I did say at the start, you know, innovation in art and culture comes from artists. And they will always be innovative and do things. We're not waiting for a, for a bureaucrat to, to say do this or do that. Artists, the theatre the film industry, they do it. And Hong Kong has shown that it does very well in all areas. 
all of those artistic and, and design areas. And, and Mr. Fung, um, uh, actually uh, talking about uh, the, the culture and uh, tourism policies, uh, that, that uh, bureau that uh, is being suggested, it's not really that new. I mean, they're already doing it in uh, Beijing and Singapore right now. So, so why do you think it took Hong Kong this long to come up with a, a similar idea? Well, first of all, I'd like to answer uh, Baton's point. Actually, I agree with him very much about why Hong Kong, when you bring up a lot of all these you know, questions and why it cannot be resolved, it's all because of our systems in the government. You know, so far, we don't have AOs or we don't have really you know, people on that very high level who have backgrounds in culture. Now, that makes the change. That's why I keep on saying if we have um, the right person, that means... First of all, you know, again, responding to Matthias, you know, this person is not just from middle class. You know, he has to know about grassroots. Of course, the better to have the background from a grassroots. And therefore, this person can handle or can understand it from a wider spectrum. The other thing is this person got to have cultural background himself. So he will understand it's not just by building more architectures or more building of hardwares or to creating just, you know, big events and therefore to bring in visitors or tourism. In fact, we need to really nurture people from the, uh, from the grassroots and from the bigger sector. And with that in mind, now this is a big change. That's why I keep on saying it's the mindset change. It's mindset change from the government, of course, from the very top level, and then from this middle level, if we have such a bureau, of course, I keep talking about who is the leader. But again, a very important change is the mindset of parents. Now, parents is one of the uh, big obstacles in, you know, um, nurturing, you know, their, their, their kids to become artists or become sportsmen because they always see that has no career. So that has to be both ways. But of course, with a brighter future for the sports that we just, you know, seen from the Olympic, that may be something leading to a different angles in the art scene, hoping that parents do see their kids in the art scene can have their career. It's not just always, you know, going to be professionals and always to be, you know, at a very high salary income group. They have to be looking into the different perspective for their children. So this is the questions, you know, I like to follow up on to John Batten. And uh, for the questions you just asked, I forgot already. Can you <laughs> remind again? It's all right. Uh, I was just uh, asking, uh, um, uh, basically, uh putting culture and tourism policies in one bureau is, is not that new because they're already doing it in Beijing and Singapore right now. So, so why, why do you think it's uh, uh, taking Hong Kong this long to come up with a, a similar idea? Well, that was very clear. The last time it was almost happened, but of course there are people uh, worried about whether or not this is just purely for the promotion of you know, nationalism or just purely uh, heavily weighted on Chinese culture. But back to here, if we have really a something looking forward onto a bigger perspective, if this is the time that we have to really you know, position Hong Kong as in a national city and keep on, you know, the government keep on talking about Hong Kong is the uh, a cultural hub in the future. And therefore, if this is our goal, that may be a little, you know, d- different from the, the kind of worries that we had. And what can we learn from them? I mean, did they encounter any difficulties when they set up this uh, bureau? Can I say something? Can I say oh, something? Sure, sure. Matthias is a great person. Yeah. Can I say something? Yeah, sure. Um, um, I think um, 
we should look uh, look to, look to Korea. I mean, the Korea uh, in the eighties and nineties they are very behind, but then but then now they are on. I mean, in the art world, in the serious art world, and also in pop art culture, they are very strong. I think they're hand in hand. If you like in Hong Kong in the eighties, in the nineties, Hong Kong has strong pop culture and Hong Kong has strong pop uh, art scene too. We have a lot of a designer, creative people. So it's the ecology that we are talking about. So if we have an ecology, then if we have the talent, then it will generate a lot of uh, positive and creative energy. And so that's why education is the core. Because in Korea, they put in a lot of uh, uh, heart and soul and resources to build up their uh, the Koreans to be. Uh, and they build school, and then they have proper curriculum, and they respect artists. Artists has a very strong social status in, in, in Korea. But in Hong Kong, we have none of that. Um, but then it's not easy to change. So the mindset is we, and we talk about the mindset, and we talk, why we are so behind is because we don't really care about art and culture. I mean, let's face the fact. But then the, the interesting thing is what, uh, 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 is catching up very fast. Uh, Shanghai is catching up very fast. I'm not. I'm not pessimistic and optimistic. I'm being realistic of what is happening around us, and uh, I think Singapore is also doing well in some area. Uh, I think Hong Kong is uh, very, very behind. We must face the reality, and then we know what to do. I'm not pessimistic. I'm not saying that it's no good to set. I think it's good to set up a bureau. But Raymond said we need to find the right person. We need to get the right agenda. For example, if the right the first five years they have to have a plan, not just. Like, look at the ITB. I mean, look at the uh, Environmental Bureau. We have a... I mean, they keep delaying, dragging on everything. So setting up a bureau doesn't mean all the problems solved. It's only the beginning of the problem. Whether the government wants to solve all the problems in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's the... That's the that's we go back to the rich and powerful people because they only have... They, the problem in Hong Kong is all the, all, all the art resources are controlled, all the committees are controlled by businessmen. All the board, all the board, APA boards so, or whatever board, all the board are controlled by businessmen for the last two decades. So we need to ask them, what could they contribute? And we have done five research paper on education and none are being implemented. <laughs> and, and somehow I'm not, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not being negative, but I'm not, I'm being realistic. So when we talk about this, uh, uh, when the, when the CE talk about this, Probably she has to line up with China because China have been very proactively engaging in those areas and they are professionally led. Yes, in China there are a lot of um, political sensitive issues that they have to handle, but they're doing professionally. I mean, in the non-political field, uh, in design, in architecture, in theaters, uh, they are they have much vibrant situation. Artists can have their own space. They have can develop their own career. And then, like Raymond said, there are no parents' issue in China. I mean, it is so difficult to get into the art academy. Five thousand for twenty twenty places, you know. <laughs> but can we can we can we make that happen in Hong Kong? Uh, are, we, are we are we when the government talk about going to a Great Bay area? Can we can we really do that? Mm-hmm. So, if we can't, then if we do not have this kind of ambition or a reality check then we will not be able to move forward. It's just another bureau that uh, have a lot of slogan, a lot of events, a lot of feel-good events. Oh, we are doing very well, and then everyone is self-congratulating, you know, like a cult, you know. <laughs> I mean, how is it like a cult, you know? We, we, everything is like a cult. We talk about big data and our big data, but there's no big data. We keep talking about big data, you know. <laughs> 
How, well, right. well, John Batten, how about that then? We need to promote pop culture. Promoting yeah, pop culture. Yeah. I'm talking about we have to have proper cultural ecology that people are inter uh, they're interrelated, you know. You know. John? Oh, uh, I don't know, Jim. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll just give you one, one, one story. Get the interest of, uh, it'll get, I mean, it'll get young people and teenagers interested, won't it? Yeah, I'll give you one story. Uh, I, I, I think actually one of the benefits of COVID is we've seen uh, the museums close, we've seen big art, of, art fairs not happening. And, and what, you know, the phenomena that, that was happening around the traps of, of, of um, art studios was the artists just got it together and started doing exhibitions in their studios and small art spaces, you know, non-government art spaces. And actually at the moment there's a little re re renaissance at the grassroots and the visual arts in Hong Kong where, where there's actually a lot happening and it's got nothing to do with big money or big data or, or cultural bureaus. It's just happening down there on the street. And, you know, it's really, really refreshing. And uh, and you, you and all of you all well, Mr. Fong and uh, also Matthias, you, both of you have been talking about how uh, we need to find the right person. I mean, do do you have any idea of who this right person might be? I can hear. Hello. <laughs> I, I think yeah. Janice. I think you're missing the point. It's it's you know that it's not about the right person, although. Having that's, a right person Mr. can Fong be was saying. the the right a, 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 a right person may be a good thing, but you know. It, no, it, uh, uh, John, let me let me. I think I know how to answer that. Okay, so for go example, for it. If you want to, if you want to open a sushi restaurant, you need to find a chef who can make sushi. You know, you won't you won't find a taxi driver to be the chef of a of a sushi restaurant. I mean, if you talk about the right person, then then the government have to think about what they really want to achieve. Whether they want to open a sushi restaurant, if they want to, they have to get a proper sushi chef or a team that can make sushi. So who do you or, need to lead an arts uh, bureau? Sorry? So who do you need to lead an arts and culture bureau? You need, you need to have people who have practical experience in art, who know policy, who, hand, who can be, who can handle under the, all the complex situation. So I, I, so I would say uh, there's no such person exists now. No, I'm saying I'm telling you that because to to this cross the spectrum from tourism to sports or art, there's no such person. So then the government have to the see have to set up a clear goal and agenda. If they assign a bureaucrat, which probably will be, or someone who is not from the art field, then they have to have agenda a list of items that he will do. Then he will be a facilitator to facilitate to lead the professional to achieve those. Uh, objectives, rather than keep delaying it, you know, in other, in, like the ITB, like the environment, and like the, the environmental bureau, they're doing this because we uh, it's a leadership issue. Because if the C is serious about setting up this bureau, he have to set, clear, clear go. Okay, first we need to clear up all the ordinance issue first. Okay, we need to have museum ordinance, theater ordinance that will supporting hardware and software development, like what Taiwan is. Like what Shanghai did, Shanghai have a proper museum ordinance, so the private sector can apply to set up a museum properly. We don't even have that. So let's do basic first. Let's clear up the ordinance and then the ed education. These are the two pillars that we must do in Hong Kong if we want to have 
Hong Kong arts or sport or whatever growth, then we need to have that education and ordinance. Then we have a master plan or something that uh, we can follow, and then people will invest into it, and then we can have better ecology. That mixing everything together, rather than everything is like apartheid, you know, we are doing this and we are doing that, you know, and then no one knows who is doing what, you know. Okay. Well, thanks very much. Uh, uh, we're out of time for this topic, but, but thank you uh, very much to uh, our guests this morning. That was uh, Matthias Wu, you just heard there, of the arts group uh, Zuni Icosahedron. Uh, thank you to uh, Raymond Fung, uh, artist and architect and member of the West Kowloon Cultural District Authority Development Committee and a board member of the Hong Kong Palace Museum. And thank you very much to John Batten, president of the International Association of Art Critics Hong Kong. Um, moving on uh, for the last uh, 10 minutes uh, of the programme, um, we're going to talk about um, a related topic, uh, and that is uh, sports, and in particular, uh, what makes a winning sports mentality. Um, we had uh, at the weekend um, the very welcome news that uh, the Hong Kong teenager Coleman Wong um, actually made history at the US Open in New York. He became the first uh, Hong Kong person to claim a boys' doubles Grand Slam title. And, um, and of course, the tournament um, had a very dramatic uh, uh, conclusion, especially in the uh, women's singles final with uh, Britain's uh, Emma Raducanu um, beating uh, Canada's Leila Fernandez, um, both of them still teenagers in uh, a, a very sort of uh, engaging, gripping uh, final uh, of the ladies' tennis tournament. Uh, we're joined on the line now by Dr Jackie Chan, who's a lecturer at the Department of Sports Science and Physical Education at the Chinese University. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning, James. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. Um, so, um, so first of all, um, uh, Coleman Wong, um, th that was quite an achievement for the young fellow, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, actually, uh, you, you mentioned he's the uh, first guy at the, at, to win that title in the US. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, so... I mean, tennis is a is a is a particular. I can remember playing tennis at school years and years ago. I haven't really <laughs> continued since. But um, I mean, he was in a doubles tournament, which is slightly different because there's two of you on one side of the nets. But but in in singles tennis, you're out there on your own on the court, aren't you? Um, what sort of mindset does it take to win a tennis match? Actually, uh, first thing is uh, it is a doubles match, uh, so that we we should understand that it's a wonderful achievement of these two guys. And yeah. um, first thing is, I think he, uh, Coleman Wong, has a developed a very strong winning mentality, which is uh, ambitiousness and great desires for the victory and perseverance. I remember that because actually uh, once uh, he uh, won or approach to the final in the U.S. Actually, I read the news uh, in a reporter in 2017 and 2018. I remember that Coleman Wong has said before, confidently at his 14 years old, he hopes to become world number one in the future after winning the uh, new 14-orange bowl title in 2017. That's why he believes in himself, no matter, I think, he can transfer from single to play doubles. Right. So, That's why he thinks he can become really good. So self-belief, ambition, determination, and obviously a lot of practice and hard work goes into it. 
Yes, actually, uh, it's a, uh, he set a long-term goal because he wants to be a world number one, motivating him to move faster and hit stronger than before. I, I call it, uh, it is a kind of self-efficacy. A people who, uh, a person who with a strong sense of uh, self-efficacy will, uh, will uh, change as a thing that he's supposed to be master rather than that to to avoid. Uh, I can summarize uh, the statistic uh, generated from the match. Actually, he plays five games with tiebreak. But the mistake, uh, uh, the enforced mistake, uh, the number of audit is uh, rather fewer than the other teams. And he makes the ace greater than the other teams. So that I can say he can sustain the pressure. Before Coleman Wong won the uh, U.S. Open boys double title, he also won the uh, prestigious uh, junior Orange Bowl title a, a few years back when he was 14. And, and I know like others who have also won the Orange Bowl, they, they've gone on to a sparkling careers. But, but at the same time, um, it's, easy, it's also easy for the media to hype up athletes who enjoy early success. Uh, most of the time it doesn't last. Um, how can Coleman maximize his chances of staying at the top? I think one of the most important thing is he, he's young. And I think is uh, he uh, following a, a professional tennis player's uh, role model. Uh, he said before his role model is uh, is Roger Federer, who is a uh, an uh, all court all around player. Uh, don't forget uh, Roger Federer. Uh, he uh, got angry easily when he was uh, very young. But he managed his temper eventually. It could be a piece of, of uh, inspiring message to Coleman Wong. It's not surprising that uh, uh, Coleman Wong also comments himself that his, uh, his mental game is better than other players of the same age. He knows that someday he's not going to be playing well, but in, if he has a strong mental game, he can win even on uh, those days. And so that I, I think he makes full use of his own mentality and personality. And the boys' game is uh, quite different from the real pros. I mean, what should uh, Coleman Wong uh, watch out for? Uh, uh, what do you mean? Uh, could you repeat it? And there's uh, recently been an explosion of young tennis players, particularly in the women's games, with two uh, finalists being teenagers, uh, like uh, Jim mentioned earlier. Do you think it's just a coincidence, or, or do you think uh, we're going to see this among uh, the men's? Uh, it's very interesting phenomenon, actually. I, I think because of uh, after a long time without the tournament, without the, the real competition, so that I think the uh, teenagers got the advantage. Because of uh, they, they are there to to win, they are there to try, they are there to to take risks. So that I think it is uh, not a, just a, a, a incident. It can be a maybe uh, we can see those uh, those cases in the near future. We can see a lot of young players to win the match or have a unexpected uh, games performance. Okay, a comment on our Facebook page uh, from TC says, uh, in regards to an athlete's winning mentality, this is something you can't train for. You either have it or you don't. There are too many examples of professional athletes who have great skills, have great regular seasons, but can't perform during high-pressure situations, for example, championship games. It's also my observation that many Canadian athletes can win world championships in their respective sports, but frequently finish fourth in the Olympics. 
Um, do you have any uh, any any thoughts about that that comment, uh, Dr. Chen? I think because uh, uh, what they mentioned is uh, winning mentality is, is kind of thing that cannot be changed. But from my point of view, actually, is highly related to self accuracy and which is also uh, strongly associated with self regulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, self regulation is related to the uh, concept of self control and ability to moderate uh, their behavior to reach their goals. It's somewhat different from the uh, self confidence, but uh, self confidence is focused on self being. Yeah. But self accuracy is focused on uh, what capacity you have. You think you can uh, admit it, uh, to compete the goal. So that I think uh, young teachers with talents actually those can be trained from uh, having winning mentality. By self regulation, you mean uh, you mean, do you mean training, sort of a diet, uh, how many hours you sleep at night, that sort of thing. Yes, they can uh, very can be very disciplined. No matter their thoughts, their feelings, and their their, their actions, they can be uh, systematically designed to to achieve the goal. And how does tennis compare uh, to, with uh, other sports? I mean, it's especially tough mentally because uh, the player is uh, usually alone in the court, and unless of course it's a doubles match. Yes, it is true. Uh, because uh, it's outdoor and uh, the environment is, uh, they have to control is uh, a much, I can say, is a bit difficult than the games in indoor. And then uh, it's a double match, and so that they have to, Kuman uh, have to communicate with his partner. It is also involved a, a some soft skills. So that I think uh, it is a really, really a, a, a wonderful moment for uh, these two guys. Okay, well, once again, congratulations to Coleman Wong uh, and his partner in in winning uh, that uh, doubles tournament. Um, And thank you to Dr Jackie Chan, a lecturer at the Department of Sports Science and Physical Education at the Chinese University. Um, Just before we go to the news summary and morning brew, um, a quick look at the weather. Uh, Thanks also to you, Janice, this morning, for also co-hosting. Sunny periods and a few showers, very hot during the day with a top temperature of about 33 degrees. Uh, Isolated thunderstorms later, light winds. The outlook, there will be some showers in the next couple of days. It's currently 29 degrees, humidity 84% and the very hot weather warning remains in effect. The 8th Hong Kong Games is coming soon. It covers 8 sports, namely athletics, badminton, basketball, futsal, swimming, table tennis, tennis and volleyball. Athlete selection is now open. Don't hide your talents. Get ready to represent your district and reveal your skills. Come and join the selection. For details, please visit hongkonggames.hk. Now the new summary with Todd Harding. Dozens of angry investors have taken part in a protest at the Sunjin headquarters of the property development giant Evergrande. The company is thought to have liabilities of about 300 billion US dollars. Retail investors who bought some of its wealth management products fear losing their money. The hospital authority says a 67-year-old COVID-19 patient died on Sunday at the United Christian Hospital in Guntong. The authority said the man had been admitted on September the 1st and had since been taken out of isolation. 
And a lawyer for Queen Elizabeth's second son, Prince Andrew, has challenged the jurisdiction of a US court to hear a lawsuit over sexual assault allegations against him. They were brought by Virginia Dufre, who says the prince sexually abused her two decades ago. Prince Andrew denies the allegations. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, Great interpreter of Beethoven. And so we're oh so shy, quiet and retiring doggy council co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, it's not really for kids. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. Decide for what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. In-depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. It certainly is. Welcome to Tuesday here on The Morning Brew with me, Phil Whelan. That's all things Aussie with Jared Watt. To kick things off this morning after 10.30, our usual bits and pieces, three cracking tracks. And then Dr. Merrin Pierce is going to be back with Cosmo Lowe. We chatted a bit last week. There was so much to get into. Part two of re- reusing and repairing furniture. And after 12, we are off to Melbourne once again to chat with biz futurist Morris Misalowski. Have you ever heard of the dead internet theory? Well, it basically says that sometime in 2016-17, the internet actually died. And it's now essentially a zombie entity controlled by AI. Whether that's nonsense or not is a brilliant talking point. Also, he's going to mention an Israeli cell-aging reversal project. For real, it's happening. And tomorrow is Apple's new toy announcement, so we'll give that a little bit of oxygen as well. In the meantime, this is Cracker. Turn on, tune in, drop out with me. 26 minutes to 10. Picture this, shopping in town 